We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to discuss a column that I wrote for the Washington Times this past weekend. It's a column that's probably one of the tamest, nicest things I've ever written. And yet, I still got criticized on Facebook by a guy who fancies himself a leader of the Republican Party for the state of Oklahoma. I wrote about love, and he's telling me that I'm being hateful. I'll discuss this and more on today's Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Uh, The world has lost its mind, and conservatives, Republicans, are guilty of the insanity as much as anybody, unfortunately. And that's going to be what I talk about today. I'm going to share with you the column that I wrote for the Washington Times, I'm going to read it to you. I want you to hear exactly what I said. And then I'm going to read the objection I received from a guy who actually ran for governor for the state of Oklahoma. He could be our governor right now. He was actually a serious candidate for our gubernatorial office here in Oklahoma under the Republican banner. Uh, And I'm going to share with you his comments. I'm not going to bring up his name because I don't want to be accused of Bush League. However, you can go to my Facebook site and see the exchanges there. I post this column weekly on several different Facebook pages, my own as well as others. And one of them that I post on routinely is one called the Tulsa Rhinos. It's the Tulsa Rhinos Facebook page. Now, it has some people on that page that agree with me, and it has others that don't. And those that disagree in an intelligent, coherent fashion, I try to treat accordingly. But when somebody isn't making any sense, or it appears they didn't even bother to read the column, then I can ignore it, or I can respond and challenge it. In this case, I did respond, and I did did challenge it. So I'm going to share the column with you today. It's titled, Show Some Love, Stop tolerating me. It's a column on biblical love. And then I'm going to share with you the response that I received in social media from this Republican leader, where he accuses me of being hateful for writing about love. <laughs> you listen to what I'm saying. You you read the article, or you listen to me read the article, or you do both, and you tell me, where in the world did I ever say anything that would lead anyone, friend or foe, to conclude I'm encouraging hate. Oh, we've lost our minds. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So here's the article. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to share with you the criticism. Oh, Oh, it's painful. All right, here we go. The title is, Show Some Love, Stop Tolerating Me. If you've taken five seconds, just five seconds to follow the culture wars currently plaguing our nation, you can't help but see that the fundamental cornerstones, once thought essential to our constitutional republic, are no longer understood by our body politic. 
The essential virtues that once served as the bedrock upon which our nation was built are no longer even recognized in our public square. And when it comes to understanding why John Adams once admonished that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, it seems that we as a people, as a nation, are truly clueless. Now, I'm arguing that one of the casualties in this war on morality is the virtue of love, otherwise known as Christian charity. And today it's assumed that love means tolerance, and tolerance implies love. But even the most basic grade school understanding of these two terms shows that they are not the same, nor do they have the same moral weight or value. Love and tolerance are not synonymous. To tolerate someone does not mean you even care about them, let alone love them. As I once told Bill O'Reilly when I was on his show, I didn't send my wife an I tolerate you card on our anniversary, and there's a reason for that. It wouldn't have ended very well. Tolerance is an inferior virtue. Tolerance says, I don't really like you. I certainly don't love you. Go do what you want. But love, on the other hand, is a superior virtue. Love says, I care deeply about you, enough to tell you to stop, whereas tolerance says, I couldn't care less about you. Love says, I care a great deal. We don't send, I tolerate you cards to those we love. I've shared this story with you before. That's what I told Bill O'Reilly the first time I was on his show. So anyway, back to my article. If the COVID pandemic has proven anything, it's that progressive tolerance is a lie. The evidence is pervasive. The daily news is replete with evidence that tolerance is extended only to those who fall in line with the left's approved thoughts and attitudes, political views, and behaviors. We see it everywhere. Progressive elites such as Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo, for example, are so tolerant that they feel empowered to dismiss, if not completely shut down, any viewpoints or anybody that differ from them, from their own, from their viewpoints or who they are. Their intolerance for anything that smacks of tradition is on full display as they shamelessly tell all who dare challenge their narrative that they must be quiet or they will be shamed into complicity. Don Lemon just this last week with Chris Cuomo in an interview said it's time for us to start shaming conservatives, evangelicals, Christians, libertarians who are questioning the narrative on COVID, for example. And then the mainstream media and their thought police are constantly walking the beat to root out all ideological crimes that they deem intolerable. I'll say that again. They're walking the beat to root out all ideological crimes that they deem intolerable. Religious freedom is derided. Freedom of conscience is mocked. Biblical morality is maligned. Every day brings new rules and new restrictions regarding what others are allowed to think and permitted to say. And with every word, the left proves that progressive tolerance is about authority and control. You want to go to church? Intolerable. You don't want to wear a mask? Intolerable. 
question the efficacy of a vaccine that by definition has no longitudinal data to confirm its long-term effectiveness? Completely intolerable. Argue that women have the right to their own bathrooms, their own locker rooms, their showers, and their sports? Well, you're insane. And all in the name of tolerance. So here's the bottom line. It's this, that the tolerance of these smart folks is dangerous. It's unstable. It's constantly blown around by the winds of political fads. It's wielded by those who seek power. It refuses to allow for discussion. It has no consistent standard, and its target is always moving. It refuses to allow anyone to challenge the oligarchs and what they say and what they declare to be popular and acceptable. This tolerance is really little less than tyranny. It squashes debate, derides dissent, seeks control, and it silences speech, and it is anti-freedom. So what are we to do in the face of this Orwellian insanity? Well, I'm going to argue that St. Paul actually gave us the answer some 2,000 years ago when he wrote his letter to the church of Corinth. He said this in 1 Corinthians 13, Love is patient. Love is kind. It always protects. Love never fails. I don't know if any of you remember the popular song, Top 40 Hit in the 1970s, by England, Dan, and John Ford Coley. They sang, love is the answer. And that is the answer. But biblical love, biblical love is the answer. Biblical love stands in direct contrast to this counterfeit of progressive tolerance. Love that is patient is not found in rioting against others that disagree with you. Love that is kind is not witnessed in ruining the lives of those who think differently than you. Love that protects does not fall in line while others are forced to comply. Love is willing to break rank, even when doing so is quite unpopular. Love never fails to speak up when intolerance is silent. Love, true love, Christian charity, that is, sacrifices, sacrifices for the sake of others. It protects them when the tolerant seek to silence them. It doesn't ridicule. It doesn't mock others because they have a different worldview than us. True love steps in and tells people like Don Lemon to stop. Stop hurting yourself. Stop sacrificing your own body, mind, and soul. It's hurting you. And I love you enough to say you're wrong. Stop. And you're also hurting others because of your platform. Tolerance would remain silent, whereas love steps forward, cares enough, to tell people to stop. True love cares, while tolerance could not care less. All right, 
So that is my column that brought forth the wrath of a quote-unquote conservative Republican leader who was actually a candidate for the governor's office for the reddest of red states, a state that hasn't had one county vote blue in four successive presidential elections, a man that could have been leading and pushing the buttons and supporting or not supporting, and that's the point, or not supporting tradition, reason, experience, and the revelation of God. So now I'm going to share with you what he actually says in his first foray, and then we'll follow it through, we'll follow that thread through, as I responded to it. And you decide. You decide who you think is right. Now again, I'm not going to mention his name. Now, he put it out there publicly, so I suppose I could. And if you do go to the Tulsa County Rano's uh, Facebook page, you'll see that what the exchange is. But for the sake of this broadcast, it, it's nothing but a distraction. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say a man who could be our governor actually challenged that article that I just read to you. And you might be asking yourself, what's wrong with it? Well, <laughs> I'm kind of asking myself that too. But here's what he said. He said, John 15, 12 says to love each other as I have loved you. That's the gospel of John 15, 12. And it does say that, love each other as I have loved you. With the love of Christ living within us, how could we not? The only thing we are to hate is the sin, not the sinner, and the evil, not the evil maker. I don't know of any scripture that tells us otherwise, he says. Okay? So, and then he says, if you have one, meaning scripture, I'm always open to learning. Well, first, I didn't know who he was. Because, you know, it's a, it's a common name. It's a name that, you know, probably thousands of people might have. So I didn't remember that he was a gubernatorial candidate when I first saw the name. So I, re- I just responded, really not even knowing who I was responding to. And I said, I don't understand your comment. Are you suggesting that I said otherwise? That, you know, you're saying that I don't know of any scripture that tells us that we shouldn't love one another as Christ loved us. I, I don't understand your comment. Why are you suggesting that I said otherwise? Frankly, you're not making sense to me. He responds back and he says, how about reading the first sentence of your post and tell me just one scripture that tells us not to love anyone? Now, if that's not what you're saying, just say so. So he tells me, go read the first sentence of your post. And I'm wondering, who is this guy? So I went to his Facebook page and, oh, that's who it is. So I then I went back and I thought, did I miss something? What did I write my first sentence? So I went back and I copied and pasted it. And I said this in response, are you actually reading the article? Your comments are peculiar and confused, completely disconnected from the column. This is the first sentence that you reference. And here's the sentence. If you've taken five seconds to follow the culture wars currently plaguing our nation, you can't help but see that the fundamental cornerstones once thought essential to our constitutional republic are no longer understood in our body politic. How does this suggest hating one, anyone? I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> this is a straw man if I've ever heard of one. I, and keep in mind, 
I would I would think any Republican that believes in our Republican platform and our Constitution would quickly raise his hand and say, Amen. Our the culture wars do betray the fact that our fundamental cornerstones that we once thought were essential to our constitutional republic are not understood anymore. That's my first sentence, and he's suggesting that it's hateful. His response to me, and I kid you not, is, to me it's very clear, goodbye. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I I just, I don't get it. I so I I responded back and I said, well, I, I don't think it is very clear. I don't think it's clear to anyone else who's actually read the column. And then I suggested that you might want to read it before you leap, because often we do that. You may be guilty of that. You read a headline, you, you don't bother to read the article, and you think that something's being said that's really not, and then somebody calls you on it, you ought to just admit it. I, I've I've been guilty of reading a headline and not reading a column now and then. I hope I don't do it very often, but I, I won't complain. Uh, I won't claim to be completely innocent on uh, the way I read stuff. And but when the author points out to you, wait a second, I didn't say anything that you're suggesting. Go back and read it, please. You might want to do that, okay? Especially if you're supposedly on the same side, on the same team, fighting for the same cause of a constitutional republic that's grounded in the constitutional cornerstones that give us freedom. If the Republican leadership actually thinks this is hateful, the Republican Party is lost. And maybe that explains why the word rhinos has come up in the first place. Oh, so... (laughs) So anyway... He responded and said, and what makes you think you get to say who is clear and who is not clear? Because remember I said in my preceding comments that he wasn't being clear. And I, I said, well, first I wrote the article. Second, your argument is just disjointed and it makes no sense. Third, you're the one who brings up the first sentence of my column. And then when I actually post it and ask you to respond, you can't. Finally, you are also the one suggesting that this article somehow violates John 15. And when I ask you for evidence to explain it, you don't do so. You provide no evidence. In my world, someone being, someone's being quite clear here and someone's not. Uh, anyway, he then responded to me and he said, uh, I don't think any of us has the right to say who's clear and who's not clear. And that's what I should have said in the first place. Uh, He says, I know I don't have the ability to do so without asking them. But for you to say that no one, what's he saying here? I don't even understand his comment. He says, but for you to say anyone else seems a bit narcissistic to me. So I don't know what he's saying when he says anyone else. That doesn't matter, but... He says it seems a bit narcissistic, and I think that's the take-home in that comment. He's accusing me of being a narcissist. Now, here we're getting into the self-refuting nonsense that we have to deal with on a daily basis, and I couldn't let it go, and I don't think I should have let it go, and that's why I'm bringing it up on this show. This is a learning experience for all of us, me and you and everybody else. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to this exchange? You heard the article. You can go read the article. Now, how do you respond to this? Well, I use his words, I don't want to paraphrase, so I use his words, and I say, seems a bit narcissistic, quote-unquote. 
you just argued that your view is superior to mine, which you obviously believe it is, or otherwise you wouldn't be wasting your time, and you do so entirely on the basis of your subjective opinion rather than any objective facts that I've asked you to provide, and you're suggesting that I'm the one who's narcissistic? Oh, my. Uh, he gets upset and he says, goodbye again. I made my point. Well, I'm not too sure what your point is, and I can't imagine anyone else understanding it either. Not even sure what that you understand it yourself. Climbing up is down and down is up doesn't make it so. I guess goodbye wasn't, <laughs> he didn't mean that either. He, said, he says, of course not. But who cares? Well, it's a silly argument. There's zero facts, zero evidence, zero sense, completely disconnected from the column. And I've provided the very sentence that he's criticizing, and then he dodges. He moves the target. I, I have difficulty believing he even read it. And if he did, oh, oh my. Ugh. <sighs> He, he says something in here that's uh, intended to get at me personally. I won't read that. It's not important. Um, he says something about me thinking that I'm a lawyer. That's uh, not important. Um, and then he says again, why don't you show me the scripture I've asked you for on two occasions? Otherwise, again, goodbye. Well, what scripture are you asking me for? I've given you... 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul defines love. I haven't disputed your reference to John 15, where Jesus says that we are obligated to love one another as he loves us. What, what are you asking for? You're not being clear. I'm sorry if that offends you for me to say that, but you're making no sense. I don't understand. He just says goodbye. And you know, his emphasis on John 15, uh, I, I know because of interactions I've had that he's not following other passages as, as, as my church interprets them anyway. Um, so there's some cherry picking of biblical seriousness here. Um, so I ask him, as we get to the end of this exchange, why don't you respond to the questions that I've asked? You cited the first sentence of my column, and when I provide it and ask you what you mean, you dodge, you move the target, you change the conversation. He responds and says, I can't imagine anyone ever being able to show you where you are wrong. You just can't handle it. Goodbye. Well, I've had a lot of people show me where I'm wrong. I've apologized. I've asked for forgiveness for things that I've said and done that are wrong. But in this case, you be the judge. What did I say in my column that's wrong? And where is my question back to him? Wrong. What, you said the first sentence is your reason for thinking I'm calling for something other than love when the article itself is a call to Christian charity, to Christian love to recognize that it's a superior virtue to tolerance, and tolerance is an inferior virtue to biblical love, the love that Jesus himself is calling for in John 15, the very passage you're referencing. Why, why are we disagreeing here? Why are, you, why are you fussing over this? And he says, by the way, 
the refusal to admit that you're wrong is one of the main characteristics of narcissism. All right, now time to apply some logic here. Okay, so when you're in debate, what's your strategy? Okay, do you realize how clearly he's contradicting himself here? I'm going to say that again. He says one of the main characteristics of narcissism is the refusal to admit that you're wrong. So how do we respond to that? Because we get that all the time. You conservatives refuse to admit that you're wrong. Well, here's the response. It's very simple. Uh, You do realize that you just criticized somebody else for refusing to admit they're wrong, while you, quite publicly, refuse to admit you're wrong. You realize you've done that, don't you? You're criticizing others, me in this case, for refusing to admit they're wrong, while you refuse to admit you're wrong. So they're narcissists? What's that make you? Uh, It's kind of like watching a dog chase its tail. And I've pointed out repeatedly in such debates that you might want to be careful about that branch you're sitting on while you saw away so ferociously. This is the textbook definition of self-refuting nonsense. It's a lack of self-awareness. I get dizzy watching or listening. This debate closes off with him saying, your rationale is too ludicrous for me to even respond. Uh, Really, that's sad. Again, I'm talking to a Republican leader, a man who could have been the governor of our state. What in my column is ludicrous? I'm calling for a return to constitutional cornerstones. I'm calling for a return to biblical charity, the biblical definition of love as being the solution to the intolerance of tolerance that's so pervasive from the left. I'm challenging this guy for not being clear. He doubles down in this disjointed, confusing nonsense. Starts calling other people names. That's an ad hominem fallacy, by the way when indeed he's showing himself to be guilty of the very thing he's accusing other people of doing. At some point in time in these conversations, we all need to, are you going to engage or are you just going to walk away? You may challenge me and say, hey, you should have just left him alone. And you might be right. What's the point? Let some people flail away at their own shadows. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But because some people are watching us at times, we need to give them examples of how to engage this nonsense with some common sense, sense that's common. And that when you're arguing for biblical love and somebody turns around and accuses you of peddling hate, I don't think we should just stand there and be silent. In fact, remember, in times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. If we're silent, then maybe they're right in their mantra, that silence is violence. Don't commit violence against the truth. Defend it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.